You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we have one of my friends, a colleague that has done a lot of work with NASM as a subject matter expert, and he is here today to talk to us about overuse injuries in the youth athlete. Welcome, Dr. Scott Cheatham. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, good, good. Thanks, thanks, Rick, for having me on, and Happy holidays, the NASM fam. So thank you, uh, man. It's good to see you because it's been yeah. a long time since you've been on the show, mm-hmm. and you were my my Steve Martin to SNL. You were you were like a regular for a while, and then it just dropped off. And I apologize. We have to have you oh. back more. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I would love to be. I, we this has always been a fun a fun time chatting with you and. Uh, given all of our dumb jokes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's everything, you know, I mean, it just, it's fun, but it's, it's great to share information and also learn from you. And, and, you know, as we go through our path of life, it's great to share what we've learned along the way. So, well, thank you very much. And with that, can you give our audience just a little information about who you are, your education, what you do for a living? Oh yeah. All right. So, um, I'm, uh, so my main, my main job is I'm a, uh, associate chair and professor of, uh, kinesiology at California state university, Dominguez Hills in Southern California. Um, I also have a, uh, sports, uh, performance in, uh, sports physical therapy, uh, practice. Uh, so I kind of combine the two and then I'm also a researcher, um, actively at the university where currently I'm focusing on, um, myofascial interventions and, um, also to how to integrate a lot of our therapeutic exercises, uh, into enhancing performance in athletes of all different types. So, so we got a few lines of research there. All right. So the myofascial interventions, that's going to be a conversation for another time. And when I have you back on, we're going to talk about the myofascia. And I've had some people ask me questions recently about fascia and fascial Mm -hmm. lines. And though I have studied some on it and I have opinions about it, um, I'd like to know what some of the research says. So I'll be picking your brain about that. But for yeah, today, we're talking about the overuse injuries in youth athletes. So first off, can you just um, kind of go over what are overuse injuries? And dare I ask, how do they occur? Yeah. So yeah. So the basic definition of of overuse in our young athletes is typically excessive training that results in some type of uh, tissue jam- tissue damage to the musculoskeletal system. And uh, this is a hot topic right now in the sports medicine community is trying to find the balance between a young athlete's um, you know, training and competitive schedule, their periodization schedule for the whole year, um, but also finding time for their social life, school, and them just growing up. So the the term overuse um, injuries have taken on different definitions over time. But I think for the NASM family, the simplest definition is it's just excessive uh, excessive training that results in some type of uh, injury over time. 
Gotcha. I'd, I'd always looked at overuse injuries as kind of one of two things, even though there are a lot of things, which is uh, a bunch of little things that add up or not a whole lot of some relatively big things that only take a few times to add up to lead to injury. Does that fit into the a piece of this broader definition of overuse injury? Yeah, it does. I think I think what you're saying is is that you know there's there's got to be kind of that what we 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 joke and we call it that work life balance with the with our young athletes is that um, is that as you mentioned sometimes athletes can over uh, excessively train themselves. And that, that could be, uh, many times where they have this very rigorous training schedule throughout the week while going to school, while staying up late and doing their homework and stuff. So there's a, there's a, there's a misbalance between the rest recovery and refueling that results in this injury. So there's an excessive overuse. And then also too, there's also the definition again is broad, but there's also a, an underutilization and a lot lot of experts are starting to look at other facets of a athlete's physiological profile. Um, for example, like nutrition, maybe the athlete is not getting um, adequate um, macronutrients. Maybe they're not getting um, enough of their vitamins and minerals. So that could be possibly uh, weakening their bones as they're going through puberty. And then that could be one risk factor for um, these stress-related bone injuries that are under the umbrella of overuse. So um, okay. also there's other things like lack of sleep, right? Um, extreme emotional, uh, mental health or uh, social stresses, right? So so there's a lot of things that, that can throw off this athletic profile balance that we're looking at. Um, so the, the definition is really kind of an, a work in progress as we, as we look at each athlete's individual case, right? Because it's all, it's all on an individual basis. So I think it, the fitness professional needs to kind of do within their scope of practice, um, a good, you know, assessment and a good kind of inventory of these young athletes, and then try to work on those typical risk factors that could be over, you know, excessive training, or some, some other type of under excessive. So there's got to be that balance. So, yeah. Uh, so this is, this is kind of interesting because when I was a young trainer, I worked very close to Lincoln center in New York city and right across the street was the Metropolitan Opera. It was the New York city ballet, the American ballet theater, and several of those young dance and Juilliard. So several of the young dancers would come across the street to the gym and they would train at the gym. And there was this young professional dancer and I was watching her. She's a ballerina. You could tell, you can tell by their posture. You can tell by the way they walk and sometimes the buns on their head, but you can tell. And she came in and she grabbed some kettlebells and she was just doing like plies, loaded plies. And I thought, oh my gosh, like she probably does plies from noon until midnight. Mm -hmm. And now here she is adding weight to those things. Now, I understand that this is not a specific example of, or this is maybe too myopic of an example, but there's that time that I really saw something and I was like, uh, I would love to do an assessment and see if this person should ever do loaded plies based off of what they do in their daily life when it comes to their training and their 
their very rigid rehearsal schedule. So I guess what I'm doing is like trying trying to figure out where the overuse comes in. Can we load pat patterns that we do repetitively? Where do the concerns come in? And um, where do we see these injuries start to happen? Is there a is there a ratcheting up process where it's like beneficial, 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 and then the ship starts to shake before it collapses? Yeah, I think I think we're seeing more and more when it it comes to the uh, the athlete's periodization schedule. When we talk about um, even if you're you know because as you know as well as I do, and a lot of the parents out there who are listening a lot of our kids are doing like club sports, right? And those are year round. There's no, there's a tournament every weekend for everything, right? So, so I think, I think there's, there's an imbalance we're seeing over a 12 month calendar period where there is no balance between rest recovery and refueling. And there's, mm -hmm. they're always in a, in a competitive season year round. And so I, I think what we're seeing is, is we're not seeing that true periodization uh, programming that we're used to having now with these youth sports, because a lot, as you, as you know, as well as I do, a lot of the collegiate coaches um, and many of our primary sports here, here in, in the United States actually go to these big club showcases to look at potential recruits for scholarships versus going to a high school like we used to. So there's, there's, there's year round competition where a lot of the athletes that I work with in my world here in Southern California, they don't have a specific, you know, pre, you know, preseason, in season, off season and, and in between season, uh, type of like a mesocycle that's going to help them kind of do it so their macro cycle is constantly loading and loading and loading and so we get a lot of these club coaches these high school coaches um still tend to do go to the gym with these kids and they're loading them at sometimes it's 75 to 85 percent of their one rep max or a high rpe even when they're in season and we're seeing these mm. these these kids just get run down because they're constantly breaking down their body and as, as you know as well as i do physiologically the body's constantly getting broken down and repairing itself, right? But there has to be that balance when we talk about overuse and excessive training. And so if, if our fitness professionals are actually working with these athletes year round, I think it's important to do your best to try to get them on some type of periodization schedule where there is a time where you could load them right? Like maybe in phases two and five, which is a lot of supersets, you're going, you know, you're starting to load them and stuff. Or maybe it, during the during the regular season, maybe you kind of balance it between, you know, phase one and, and maybe three and four, depending on where they're at. So, so, so again, it has to be, you know, it has to be adjusted on a monthly basis with these athletes and also they have to be monitored and that's why we have all this great biometric equipment you know the whoop band and all this other stuff where you can monitor their biometrics and stuff so i think if we if we consider these athletes as a 12-month athlete 
and we start planning ahead. I think sometimes we can have clear periods to load them, clear periods to deload them, and also give them some time for their for themselves and for them just to be a kid. I think that's important. I do too. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and this is our guest, Dr. Scott Cheatham, who is a professor at Cal State Dominguez Hills, and he is a subject matter expert. Right now, he's focused on um, overuse injuries in youth and youth athletes. So I want to run this by you because there's a big difference between working with an individual and working with a team. And so if I'm working with a team with uh, 11 players on a roster, like a basketball team, or 20-something on a roster, like a football team, versus um, a tennis athlete who's playing one-on-one, or a swimmer, or a gymnast, where I can look at it and I can say, all right, this individual, their HRV is off, they, they've, they're a little achy, they're a little sore, but I need them to play in the team sport. Like, I need them to go to practice with the team versus I need you to take some time off because it is an individual sport and therefore you taking a break doesn't adversely affect the rest of the people that are playing. Um, how... What is that thought process when it comes to maybe working with a team athlete and giving them the space, even though the team relies on them? You know, yeah, that's that's a difficult question because, um, you know, part of the the hot topic um, when it comes to overuse. And there's also, I'm sure a lot of our viewers here have under, have heard the term sports specialization where kids are just doing one sport year round. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so Rick, the challenge of that is, is that if you have one of the, let's say the starters or one of the stars who, who are somewhat injured and you're trying to, you know, taper them a little bit, you're trying to get them to heal up and stuff, you know, the parental and coaching demands are really a, a huge influence on kids right now, because they're the, you know, there's so much research out there that discuss how, you know, the parents kind of, the parents and the coaches feed into this, this whole philosophy of, we need to specialize in one sport so that you're going to be good, so that hopefully you can go to college, and then you're going to become a professional, you know, so there's this, there's this huge kind of system. And even with my son, who's in, he's a sophomore in high school right now, we got stuck in that with club soccer. My son, Mm. you know, went all the way up to the academies. He played with one of the MLS uh, academy teams. Every weekend we were doing some traveling, some sport. And his sophomore year, he quit. He just got burned out and he just got fried because we were stuck in this whole um, balance, trying to, you know, assuage everybody, trying to go with the fan, you know, go with all the families and the team culture and all that. So the team, the the team subculture that's led by the coach has a major influence on if the kid's going to play or not. Like I have kids right now that have, uh, MRI confirmed stress fractures in their shins and they're still playing right now because the parents don't want them to lose a starting spot on the team. So wow. It, 
Yeah, it's amazing. I know. It's just, it's one of those things that's real. And I'm sure a lot of our viewers out there who are parents and who have kids in club understand exactly what I'm talking about is that, you know, you're, you know, the, the coaches have a huge influence with the team culture. So those are some things that make it difficult for you to take a one athlete away from a team you know, team dynamics and, and actually have them rest. Now I am seeing there is, at least in my world, there is a little bit of a progression though. I, I'm seeing more and more parents who are under my care, you know, the parent and, you know, cause you have to parent the, you know, you have to parent the parent. As a, there, yeah, yeah, you have to parent the parent um, as well as the kid. But a lot of times I'll suggest for the kid to take some time off and I'm starting to see some more parents who are more willing to stand up to these coaches and stuff and say, you know what, my kid needs to rest or, you know, my kid needs a break. So there is, there is some changes there, but for the most part, there's a very stressful culture of um, sports specialization in the United States with, with most of our main sports. Yeah. And I, I do want to hit that, but I also want to talk about this kind of injury working through injury and it's just, it's just a, you know, a, a hairline fracture and you can still go out and play. It's, it's almost like they're taking the, uh, uh, the David Goggins stuff too seriously. And instead of looking at Goggins as this guy whose mental place is um, not where really most human species should be and yeah. say, well, let's, uh, let's apply that to our children and my concern, and we, we talk about this uh, at NASM with a few of my colleagues, which is injury is nature's periodization. So if you don't take the break, your body will make you take the break. And, um, uh, and now we see people pushing through even that where the, the nature's periodization via injury will inevitably win and force you to not do it and there and the parents, I guess, and even, even the coaches, the, the student athletes themselves are oftentimes like, that's fine. As long as I make it through the end of the season, as long as we make it through postseason, I can play hurt and then I can heal for however many months before going back into it. So uh, that, that is a concern because we are kind of loving the idea of push yourself mindset, but uh, we we could take a page from that kind of self care <laughs> thing too, and bring it into to the the realm of athletics and say, well, that is true, but you do have to take care of yourself, and we see that becoming better and better in sports, especially things like football, where they're mm -hmm. not going to have as many days that they actually put on pads and and hit. Right, they are they're doing fewer days in the week, or at least presumably that's what we're working toward. Um, with that said, the, these one sport athletes that you're talking about, I, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar, Scott, with Rob Gray, but he is a, he's a motor learning guy and he's uh, got the Perception in Action podcast and uh, a great book that, that I've listened to the audio book on. I listen to his podcast. But as a motor learning person, he's not a fan of the one sport athlete. He mm -hmm. likes this idea of creating variety in your motor patterns and that variety allows you to move and think and act and react in different ways that are far less myopic than this is what my sport teaches me to do and move this way. And, and uh, 
when when you factor into that also the overuse of these repetitive movements that you might see in a sport i and it does make me lean towards maybe not just doing this one sport all the time and kind of spreading out and seeing what else you'd like yeah i think there's actually and and what you said um that gentleman's right on key as far as the research because there's quite a bit of recent research from about 2018 to current that's suggesting that the multi-sport athlete will have better long-term success and development than the single sport specialized athlete. Um, and so it's interesting and, and at least data coming from my company, cause we, we keep metrics on all of our athletes. Some of our most durable athletes are our multi-sport athletes. So for example, yeah, I work a lot with runners mm -hmm. and California, a lot of the California high schools are known to be very high mileage schools where we're having freshmen and sophomore running about 50 miles a week. It's pretty crazy yeah, when, you, when you talk about, yeah, especially when you talk about the maturation between 12 and 18, right? That the yeah. whole puberty and how dynamic these young athletes, their bodies are going through. Well, their, their body is constantly being built up and broken down. And all of a sudden, if you take excessive training there, you know, there's a lot of risk factors. And so, so on, on that note, some of our most durable athletes are actually our basketball players and our runners. So we have some, we, at least with two of the high schools I work with, the basketball players actually do cross country just to kind of stay in shape, they have no issues because in my humble opinion, when it comes to basketball, um, you know, they're expanding their motor learning catalog, right? They're expanding it by yeah. doing a multi-plane uh, vertical horizontal loading activity that's also a collision sport, right? That's very physical. So their, their musculoskeletal system is being stressed in many different ways than a linear sport such as running where it's just it's just all in the sagittal plane right you're just just going yeah. straight now we know the joints obviously move in different planes as we run but the body as a unit is going forward compared to basketball which which is constantly dynamic so it's interesting on what you say because a lot of the researchers are saying hey look you know, two things. If you if if you can put your kid in multiple sports, they're going to expand their motor learning and they're going to expand their motor catalog as they grow up. Um, yeah. The second thing is, is they're finding that that they have that these athletes have a better work life balance and they may be less at risk for depression, burnout. Burnout's really high with these young athletes. And um, they may have more satisfaction because they're on different teams, different sports. And then if we wanna add a third kind of factor to this, um, if you do have a single sport athlete that you can, you know, that, that they're forced to specialize in just one sport, that's kind of your classics like gymnastics, swimming, tennis right those are all yeah. sports that require even from the from the get-go even golf you know even from the get-go that you have to really specialize they recommend cross training 
So that's that's kind of the new savior. So 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 basically, in summary, is if you can get your kid in multiple sports and, and introduce them to different coaching styles, different sports, you know, different motor motor kind of patterns, it'll benefit them. But if you can't, try to do some type of cross training in the gym to try to mitigate some of these risk factors that we see. Oh, you know, I'm a big fan of that. So I'm, I'm happy to, ah. to hear that the things that we already like, now we're seeing some of the research to support it. Ladies yeah. and gentlemen, thank you. This is the NASM CPT podcast. I'm your host, Rick Ritchie, and this is our guest, Dr. Scott Cheatham, talking yeah. to us about youth athletes and overuse injuries. So Scott, I want to ask, is there, a, is there an estimate for this work to recovery schedule that that you're looking at and i know that certainly it's going to be individual and it's probably depends on what sport the intensity the duration of training but what, what are we looking at when it comes to creating that balance and you mentioned like a, a work-life balance what's the what's the the workout or training to recovery uh balance that we need to start considering with the young athletes and maybe even for ourselves yeah, so it's 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 interesting because there's there's kind of two camps. So we're talking about overuse injuries, but if you if if any of our NASM family would go to like PubMed and maybe look in the research, it's also under the umbrella of early sports specialization. That's one sport year round. Okay. And a lot of the major uh, health health education healthcare providers experts all the major associations like you know the american academy of pediatrics even acsm the national athletic trainers association they've all come out with position statements that have that really focus on three criteria for these young athletes and and what they call early sports specialization and their their thing is is they want athletes to to not to try to to try to have you know more than more than one sport per year okay they also want the athlete especially at a younger age to be introduced to different sports and also too they're really promoting that there's got to be specific rest breaks throughout the year like for example um in, in California and in our Western Conference with the MLS Next, it, it used to be the Academy. Uh, they have six weeks off during the winter time now. So we're starting to see this, this flow. So, so they're really looking at um, trying to get the kids to diversify at a younger age. That's nice. what they're recommending. Also have specific rest breaks throughout the calendar periodization year. Um, and also to start doing more of the neuromuscular development cross-training paradigms that are out there. So those are the three big things that if I took all these, you know, I think there's 22 position statements out there now. If I took all 22 and made it simple, that's really what we're looking at as far as uh, overuse and early sports specialization. So when, if, if you had somebody that's listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, now I need to get my kid into maybe another sport. Um, I, I would assume just like anything else, if I'm, if I'm cross training somebody and I say, okay, let's start focusing on kettlebells. That's not something that we've done. Um, I would start slowly and I would build. I, I, I think that there is potentially a higher injury risk when you start doing something new 
and you jump in and go all in on it where you may not know techniques or movements or schema of the game uh, and the movement patterns that are required of that. Is there a correlation with starting new uh, exercise programs or new activities where that does potentially increase injury? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a risk factor for overuse is extreme changes in training. So mm-hmm. if a parent or one of our um, NASM family is thinking, hey, you know, I would like my kid to start maybe working out in the gym, I would recommend doing that during a tapering period throughout their time, or maybe during the off season or during the break, where number one is their their child um, needs to have a very comprehensive assessment and if that's a fitness assessment um, I think it's great but they should they should outsource and do it with someone else (laughs) okay (laughs) throw some money at it okay because I I I got I got in that trap where I was working with my kid all the time and finally I just started paying someone else and they went a different direction I went and I just became a dad and it was amazing. So from okay. personal, from personal insight, even though a lot of our NASM family is super qualified, everybody is, um, you got to outsource and have someone else take a objective look at the situation and try to introduce the child slowly, right? A graded, mm. a graded program. And that's where the OPT model will come in, right? You can start working there and you can adapt it, obviously. That's why it's a model. You can adapt it to the child's, you know, schedule in life. But I think, I think during a low period where they're able to rest or during one of the breaks um, is a great time to introduce it. Now, as far as maintenance during a season, sure, you know, we can, we can do the basic core, you know, I I have my son doing a basic core routine, stretching, rolling, uh, mobility, uh, stability exercises on a weekly basis, because he's still playing high school soccer. Um, My, my college freshman is a power lifter now, he kind of switched, and I have him doing some stuff on a weekly basis. So there's two things, there's introducing them to a complete training which you're still going to overload their body, even though you're trying to build them back up in the gym. So you need to be careful with that. There's that work-life balance, but also though too, year round, they can still do some weekly maintenance, in my opinion, that's very low loading. You don't need to um, have them do deadlifts every day or something. Is, are there, um, are there sports that maybe we see these overuse injuries occur with more? Does it happen more, with uh, uh, pre-puberty versus going through or post-puberty? Do we see it more in male clients, the the male or the female athletes? What are some of the trends maybe that that you've noticed or Mm -hmm. that you found? Yeah, some of the trends when it comes to this, you know, this umbrella of sports specialization is we're seeing the overuse kind of sports specialization athlete. If if they start being introduced to this one sport concept uh, below the age of 12. And that's kind of mm. interesting because and it's interesting because when you dig into the research or if you actually work with the younger athlete their their training age i don't know if anyone has has ever heard that before but their training age is typically young and that's their that's their how many years they've been 
training on a yearly basis and competing in that sport. So their training age is very young, so they may be immature when it comes to doing their weekly maintenance. They're, you know, they're, they're doing their three R's to recover, regenerate, refuel, you know, every single week um, and all that. So it seems like that, that the kids who start younger than the age of 12 because of a total maturity level tend to burn out a lot quicker than a, a child who starts at a later training age. And that's kind of the middle school, high school concept. Um, and if you look at some of the most successful athletes, you know, they've, they're two sport athletes and some of them started when they were in middle school or high school. So there's, there's, there's a, there's a big kind of subsector of, of research that's going on, looking at introducing these kids at the age of six or eight to one sport. And we did that with my son, you know, so it's like, um, you know, he's, he's like Zoolander. He can only turn one way. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> he's going to, he's going to, you know, he's an, he's not an Anby Turner. Yeah, he's not an Anby Turner anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but it's the truth though. Cause we got stuck because he was very, you know, talented in soccer in our brain, in our way. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. many other kids. And uh, he's the new Messi. you know, I'm kidding. You know how everyone's all stuck. <laughs> on it. But, you know, so so and then we started introducing them to stuff later. So yeah. I think below the age of 12, there's a big argument right now. It's pretty valid to say, hey, look, do multiple sports. Then as they get towards that middle school, start kind of funneling it in and, and specializing. OK. You know, and, and stuff like that. So that's a gotcha. that's kind of a general all right. I, I like that. And I have really one more um, very focused question, which is when it comes to injury prevention, and I know we talk a lot about uh, less the words injury prevention coming out and more like injury resilience, uh, just trying to be stronger mm -hmm. to avoid injury. But um, let, let's keep that really as part of an injury prevention concept. And that really it's difficult to measure, I think, the um, injury prevention, because how do, how do you measure something that isn't happening, right? Like, so you kind of put in these injury prevention measurements. How can you tell there are fewer ACL tears? How can you tell there are fewer um, uh, ankle sprains or shoulder impingement issues when it comes to uh, to implementing some type of uh, injury prevention, overuse prevention protocol? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. And that's not cool, Rick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just joking. That's a hard question because, you know, there, there's no, it, it, there's really no one right answer. Um, uh, we, we know, we know more and more now in the research and, you know, what I've seen clinically, you know, just talking plainly that there are, there are some risk factors that we see like the year round training, the young age and stuff like that. Um, the lack of sleep, the lack of nutrition, mm. um, the excessive training throughout the week, uh, psychological burnout, mental health issues. You know, we've seen that that affects our athletes, but it, in order to draw a, a direct correlation between those risk factors and someone's injury hasn't been, hasn't been confirmed hundred percent correctly yet. 
Yeah, um, gotcha. One thing. One thing that's interesting though is, uh, and I wanted to go back to one of your other questions, and I apologize for not answering it, is okay. that we we do see a lot of athletes who are are running athletes. Yeah. our field athletes and our overhead athletes, like our volleyball players, our throwers that are subject to the highest incidences of overuse. Okay. Mm, and so, okay. and, and so that's kind of bridging the gap. So in our throwing athletes, especially like our pitchers and stuff, that's a great example of if they can make it through a season, you know, it's kind of like a seasonal thing. If they can go through the season and they're pretty healthy you know that there was some type of work-life balance or physiologically they're just more durable than other athletes hmm, okay? okay and and so it's a really tough question to say hey uh scott what's the direct correlation between mitigating these risk factors and preventing injury that's yeah. still being studied right now we still we we still can't um really draw the conclusion because we see that with the tens of thousands of ACL prevention, right? First yeah. time, second time tear research, right? We, we see that there's a huge body of evidence stating all these factors and all these risk things, but we're still having these non-contact tears all the time. And we're seeing more and more now that these non-contact ACLs can occur a second time more and mm -hmm. that and that sometimes the research is suggesting that these athletes, the retail rate can be up to 50% if they come back in six months or less from a repair. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, we're seeing that because they're seeing, it's pretty easy, right? They look at the epidemiological data and they say, oh my gosh, this group of a thousand people tore their ACL a second time and they all came back at less than six months or six months or less. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so some of the suggestions is, is that it takes up to two years for that ACL to maturate and to get strong and being able to handle the non-contact biomechanical forces that go through the knee with multi-directional sporting activities. So it's an interesting, wow. yeah. So, so it's very, it's very in flux and we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of answers. I can give you individual case studies where I've worked on people and I've, I've switched their periodization program. I've done, I've addressed a lot of the risk factors we found with them and then they made it through the season. And then yeah. to me, that would be successful to this point. But, yeah, but there's really no smoking gun to say, oh, say, hey, if you do this, you'll get this because it, it's so dynamic with every individual. It's very hard to measure. Yeah, I can imagine that's got to be part of the the tricky thing because you are looking at ways to prevent ongoing issues, but it, it's hard to tell what's working and what's not and, and to quantify that and to measure that. But uh, like you said, these epidemiological studies, let's take some a group over time and see what those outcomes are. I think that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the best we can do right now uh, to, to lead us in the right direction. As far as this topic is concerned, Scott, as we start to wrap up, is there anything else that you want to leave us with that you think that we should know, that we should be familiar with when it comes to overuse injuries and, while working with the young athletes? Now, I, I think, I think overall, I think, um, if the, you know, if, 
if the fitness professional has the um, you know ability to work with these athletes, I really believe um, taking a holistic approach and looking at that athlete athlete profile, that that physiological profile, where you're looking at that work kind of life balance with them, is a great approach to these young athletes that we see basically from 12 to 18, um, or even mm -hmm. in their 20s, because we know that their bodies are growing so much, they're still downloading the software. <laughs> right. They're right. still growing and it's a very dynamic time. So besides all the social stresses of high school, right, social media, there's a lot of factors that we have to holistically look at these athletes. And a lot of times uh, direct rest, not doing their sport, taking a week off can be magical for many athletes. And so yeah. I think, and I, so I think it's important for the fitness professional um, or even the dual credentialed healthcare professional to really, um, you know, drill down a little bit deeper with these athletes and the families and really encourage them to, to plan ahead so that the athlete can have that balance and also be a kid. I mean, that's the thing yeah. is a lot of the parents that I run into, um, especially more recently, I've been dealing with a family who has a very nationally ranked lacrosse player who's a senior and the, the, the dad is psycho about lacrosse. And I finally had to get him to unplug and let the kid figure it out on the field himself. Right. Yeah. You know, cause, cause he's, he's too much into it and their relationship improved over the last three months because the parents stepped away and wow. let, and let the kid and the coach figure it out. Right. So, so you'd be surprised when you, when it comes to these individual dynamics and stuff. And so that's why I don't have any concrete answers of, of all these risk factors, because sometimes the biggest risk factor to overuse or overuse injury is the parent. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, that that's so huge because they're pushing them because here's a, here's a quick example that I think it's important is, um, believe it or not, when it comes to youth baseball in the United States, most leagues that I'm familiar with in my world, they, if you have a pitcher on the mound, let's say a 10 year old kid, and let's say hypothetically the pitch count is 30, they start the pitch count. Okay. Uh, when the game starts, but they don't do the pitch count during the warmup, or right, when no. the, or when the kid is in the in the pen warming up before, or the dad is making him do sixty pitches a night during the week. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Right, and so that that young kid's ulnar ulnar collateral ligament and their medial elbow doesn't know any different. It's getting right. overused, and then all of a sudden the kid is is at risk for having Tommy John surgery because he has an unstable elbow. And it was actually the parent or the league that's not monitoring and telling the kid, you can only do six warm-up pitches and then adding that to the overall pitch count. And it's amazing because I've had conversations with some of um, youth baseball's leadership at different conferences. They had no answers for me. They said, we leave it up to the leagues to decide that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely, but again, most of these leagues are ran by what parents. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you are definitely exposing a lot of people and a lot of parents right now. I, I think there are a lot of people listening to this podcast going, can I forward this to my husband 
or my wife mm -hmm. or my my sister's kids you know what i mean like there there are people who are listening to this and 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 you've you're exposing a lot um and and i think it's good to to let people know that sometimes you just need as a parent to back off and to let the uh the the coaches do what they do as long as they the coaches are informed and have uh, a quality approach to their training and we know that sometimes that's not always the case too and the coaches can be pushing just as much as the parents um but but with that said i think this is an incredibly valuable um yeah. content to bring up to people and uh and and it probably is something to to draw attention to as well for people who are working who are in fitness whether you're working with youth or not that you have people that come and do sessions and go and do your high intensity workouts and they're not taking the time or the break they are and they're not seeing the results that they're looking to see um sometimes that could be uh due to almost not fully recovering from some of the things they're doing. So the amount of intensity, um, it, it's more an exhaustion than it is potential intensity. They've just worked until they're exhausted and they feel like that's a, a net positive for them. And sometimes just working to and through exhaustion isn't the, the way to do it. It is the recovery from that. And I think that's what you're saying is let's, let's find balance both for, for us, for ourselves, for our youth, uh, as parents finding balance as, uh, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I have a son that's young and does jujitsu and he really likes it, but we also set him up in camps and league to do soccer and to do some other things because in my mind, I'm like, I don't want, I want him to keep doing jujitsu. I'm that jujitsu dad. <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, I know that if I do that and I'm too much of that, then at some point it's, it, the, the levy will break and he's just going to be like, I don't want to do it anymore at all, dad. So I'm, I'm giving him clearance to go and do all sorts of things so that he can explore it and see that's good because i was the bullhorn dad on the sidelines up until oh yeah up until eighth grade year yeah and then my son one game he came to me during halftime and he said dad you're done <laughs> he, he, no he just said he said you're done he's like and so love it so, so since then i shut down but he he experienced burnout <laughs> And I had to remember that it's his sport, not mine. Yeah. And I also had to remember that he has to have the mental passion and, and yeah. mentally he's growing as an adult. So he has to have passion for the sport of what he does else he's not going to thrive with it. Right. And some kids do make it through sports specialization. I work with plenty of them, but there's a bigger, there's a big exodus sophomore and junior year in high school across the nation that we're seeing because mm. these kids are just burned out and the parents are pushing them. And every weekend they're doing some private coaching and practice. My son had two coaches plus his regular coach you know so we were we were stuck in that we're just throwing money so eventually he right. said i'm done well since he quit and he's just doing high school he's been rolling and doing jujitsu and he's been doing oh, cool. mixed martial arts we have him in a bunch of stuff he's so much more centered oh my god it's nice. great 4.3 grades are doing great i mean he he's 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 destroying it and i'm just so excited for him Oh, that's fantastic. So, so that's I saw that as a dad. Yeah. 
thank you so much. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, if there's uh, if, if people want to follow you or see what's going on in what you do, uh, is there something that you do? I don't know if you're on social media, if you uh, website, email address, um, whatever you have that people could follow up if they have questions. Yeah, so I'm on Facebook. I'm pretty old school. And then I have a website, drscottwcheatham.com, if someone would like to contact me directly or just look me up at uh, CSU Dominguez Hills. So, but as far as uh, IG and Snap, eh, I'm, I'm there, but I, I'm kind of old school. I'd rather text you and say hi <laughs> gotcha. or call you or shake your hand. So, so I'm gotcha. pretty old school on that. I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott Cheatham, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here and staying with us. It's always an honor for, for me to have conversations with people like Dr. Scott Cheatham, where I get to learn and I get to engage. And I hope that you find benefit from the conversations that we have. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, then you can do so. You can hit me up on Instagram at dr.rickritchie, or you can email me at rick.ritchie at nasn.org. Thank you again. Um, Y'all keep doing it. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Yeah, thanks. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.